Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Good morning, Sunridge. Yeah, you can have a seat. While they're bringing my table out here, you notice that um, I've been uh, like substituting for Steven Tyler. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so my voice is totally trashed. I'm, I don't have COVID according to three tests, but um, I am wearing a mask when I'm around you today, so I'm not being antisocial. Uh, if you've never been to Sunridge, my name is Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor. And we're just thrilled that uh, if, even if you're joining us online or you're right here, on our campus in this building, you know, welcome to Sunridge. I want to start this service by just uh, pointing out and reminding everybody that uh, tragedy has happened in our community over the last few weeks. Many of you know that I come from the public safety sector, and uh, so my heart is always knit to what's going on in police and fire and, of course, military. And, uh, excuse me, Riverside County has lost two deputies in the last few weeks. Isaiah Cordero and uh, Darnell Calhoun lost their lives uh, protecting us. And so I wanted to take a moment in our service to recognize them, to pray for their families. And then also, if you are in law enforcement or you've been in law enforcement, would you please stand right now? You've been in law enforcement or you are currently in law enforcement Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, stay, would you remain up, please? Because we want to we want to pray for you. Uh, if you if you stood up, would you please stand up again? I, I don't mean to call attention to you guys, but I want you guys to look around at uh, men and women that have, that have or are currently serving our community <clears throat> in a way that um, you know. Oftentimes, public safety's um, kind of boring day in and day out stuff, but every once in a while it's extremely dangerous. And I just want to say how grateful we are for those of you that serve in that way. Uh, if you guys just remain standing, I'd like to pray for you. And I ask the church to join me in prayers for uh, these um, folks that are in our midst and, of course, deputies uh, Calhoun and Cordero. God, right now, in this moment, I can't even imagine what... <clears throat> families are going through and what the Riverside County Deputy or Sheriff's Department is experiencing the loss of their co-workers loved ones but um, I pray that you would be very tangible in their lives right now in their families lives and that you would bring comfort and that they would sense the love and support of this community for those that are here in our uh, midst that have served or are serving in law enforcement we pray that you would protect them and that even though they have an extremely hard job, particularly today, that um, they would feel honored by the people of this church and how grateful we are for them. And I I certainly want to pray for those that aren't with us, all the uh, folks that are part of our church that serve in public safety. I pray that your hand would be especially on them. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen.
Thanks. Thank you, guys. Hey, um, it was in July of 2018 when a soccer team of 12 boys, along with their coach in Thailand, decided to explore one of their local caves. So did you see this in the news? Yeah. So once they were in the cave, they had no idea, they had no way of knowing that a torrential downpour had started and was filling up the cave. And by the time they realized it, their routes of escape were trapped with water. And uh, like I said, most of you, I imagine, saw this on the news, and I hope that you got to experience the daring rescue, too. I hope you followed that. If you did not, there have been at least a couple of films made on this rescue. And I just want to say I highly recommend the documentary that was done uh, by National Geographic. It's called The Rescue. It is riveting. It is fascinating. And you will get more of what I'm about to talk about if you watch it. The rescue effort was so remarkable. But to me, the most remarkable thing about the rescue was the ordinariness of the rescuers. They were ordinary people that had some unique skills, and they brought them together in cooperation with others who had different skills. Probably some of the most famous, maybe you saw these guys on the news, were the two British cave divers. I'm going to put their picture up here, John Valentin, I hope. I'm saying all these names right, and Rick Stanton. These two divers were the first to reach the boys, and they also organized um, you know, a, a gathering of at least 13 other cave divers that were able to assist from inter it, all over the world these guys came from. Uh, the boys' coach, his picture's going to be up there, Ekapal Chantawong. Hope I'm saying that right. Uh, that coach kept those kids calm, for 17 days, the 17 days that they were trapped in this cave. There were also dozens of Thai Navy SEALs who were involved in actual dives and the rescues and the rescue planning. And one of their uh, former members, Sam Kunan, he died of asphyxiation while replenishing tanks and shipping and, and moving them in the caves. One of the guys that was particularly fascinating to me was an Australian doctor. His name was Richard Harris. His picture's up there. Uh, he created this anesthetic mix that would put the boys to sleep while they transported them two and a half miles underwater through this cave. There were dozens of nurses and doctors who treated the boys for all kinds of lung inf infections and malnutrition afterwards. There was even a water company that showed up, and they offered their services for free. And they pumped water and formed uh, and, and diverted water from filling up that cave 24-7 for the entire rescue, without which the flood would have overcome the boys in their place that they were trapped. There were literally thousands of people who contributed to this rescue. Over 900 police officers, countless volunteers who provided food. There were medical health professionals who came and counseled the family members, that most of which never left the scene. There were even some barbers who came and gave free haircuts to everybody that was involved in the rescue. So I don't want to, this is a spoiler alert, so plug your ears if you don't want to know the outcome. But I want to bring comfort to those of you that, like, you need a happy ending. It's really a happy ending because every one of these boys and their coach are rescued, though two rescuers lost their lives. And you'll see that if you watch the documentary. So what I love about this story 
Um, not that it's just fascinating and riveting to me, but you have people, just ordinary people, who are working together for a common cause. And each of them have their own special, their own unique contribution. And when that happens, exponential results can occur. And we're in a series we've called Exponential. It's a teaching series about how God takes what he's given us. And when we give it back to him, the way we're designed, who we are, what the experiences that he's allowed us to have, he turns it into something far greater than we could ever imagine. It becomes exponential. So, so far in Exponential, we saw that we have no idea what God can do through us. Just like the story of the loaves and the fishes, God takes what we have, that we have given back to him in the first place. Ask, all he asks is that we bring it to him, and he turns it into something that we could never imagine. The truth is sometimes we think our contribution is too small, it's never enough, or the attempt to do so isn't even worth it, but God does something with it. And then last week, uh, or actually the Apostle Paul wrote this about this in Ephesians 3.20, this is kind of like our theme verse, God will do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. What we have, our capacities may seem inconsequential, but God makes them exponential. And then last week, Jed talked about the we factor in Paul's prayer, that our lives become exponential when we are filled with God's love and we're unified and working together toward a common mission or cause. And if last week's message by Jed brought out how God achieves exponential results through our unity, through us working together in our commonness, today I want to flip that paradox upside down, and I want you to see how exponential results come from our, from our differences. That God has providentially designed us to make an impact in the world for his sake. So here's a big idea for today. The one big idea, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Are you still with me? Okay. You are uniquely designed by God to glorify him. You are uniquely designed by God to glorify him. David, he wrote in Psalm 139, 13, For you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This psalm tells us that every person, every human life is uniquely and wonderfully made by God. He knits you together, all of you, your personality, your wiring, your Enneagram number, your gender, your strengths, and even your weaknesses. God designed you. Now we're shaped by our families and our experiences and our environments, but the raw materials God has knit that together. And the psalm says that his works are wonderful. Now, this psalm, first of all, should dismantle every insecurity we have, every self-doubt, every bit of lack of confidence or comparison that we humans make when we look around that we make of ourselves because God has uniquely designed you to bring him glory. So turn to the person to your right right now, and I want you to say... You are uniquely designed by God. Okay. 
So have I driven the main idea far enough? Okay. So if we're going to be exponentially used by God, we have to consider who God has made us. And one of my favorite books on this topic is Rick Warren's book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. It's one of the most helpful and accessible books on this topic. And there's even a daily devotional uh, version of it available. And in it, Warren says that um, when considering how God has designed us for his glory, we should consider our unique shape. And he makes an acronym out of that word shape. And today I'm going to borrow some of his thoughts and I'm going to add a lot of my own on this topic. And so like under the main heading of how God has uniquely designed us to glorify him, I want to show you today how you are uniquely shaped by God to serve him. So, as I told you, he made an acronym out of this. I totally stole it. I'm letting you know that I did. So, in case you read his book and go, hey. Uh, so, S is spiritual gifts, if you're following along with us in our notes and filling in the blanks. So, put a place marker here, because I'm going to skip this part right now, but I'm going to come back to it later in this message and then next week as well. The H is for heart. And the question there is like, what do I love doing? This is one of the ways that we're unique in how God has designed us. The Bible says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. So our heart, your heart, reveals the real you, what you truly are, not what others think you are or what circumstances have forced you to be. Physically, each one of us has a unique heartbeat, and uh, we also have a unique emotional heart. We would call it passion. We all have different passions. Your passion is what you think about a lot. Hopefully it's not potato chips, but like <laughs> we think about something. Well, actually, I, that made me, that might reveal a passion of mine. <clears throat> that just came to mind randomly. It's not in my notes. Your passion is something you think about. You talk about it. Nobody needs to prime you up to get you to talk about your passion. Now, isn't it true that all of us, there's certain things that we just love to do. And there's some things that we hate to do. That's our heart. Where did you get that natural inclination or the capacity to have it? God put it in you. Now, I love to lift weights. And as I think I've talked to the church about before, I hate running. Nobody has to motivate me to, to train with weights. I've done it since I was 14. It's becoming less and less apparent. I know that. <laughs> but no one has to say, hey, Brett, you better go to the gym today and lift some weights because I'm just going to do it. All kinds of ways I do it. I recently discovered a passion in the last few years for pickleball, too. My pickleball people. If I didn't have a job, I would play pickleball a lot more than I do. But this job interrupts a lot of things that I wanted, that my passion is there for. I hear pickleballs being hit, and it creates a longing in my spirit. I just want to go play pickleball when I hear it. I see people running, and I feel sorry for them. And if you saw me run, you would feel sorry for me too because I think I'm, I make it look not fun at all because it isn't fun to me. It's punishment. You're late to class, run. You messed up, run. That's all I know about running. So when you serve God in your passion, no one has to keep motivating you. 
because you just love it. Remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah in the Old Testament? What a great book to read uh, in the Old Testament. He rebuilt Jerusalem following the captivity when the Israelites were taken away. That rebuilding got started when Nehemiah, he writes about this in his book, when he first visited the ruins of Jerusalem. And it just tugged at his heart. He had this longing. It made him weak to see what had happened to this city that was like, you know, so precious to him and the Hebrew people. And then later, the way he describes how he started to do something about it is in Nehemiah 7.5. I'm going to put it up on the screen. So my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. And it goes on to tell about this plan that he creates to rebuild the city. But it all starts with Nehemiah getting a tug at his heart. And then he explicitly says here, it just God put it in my heart to do this thing. You know that God may actually just gives you a desire in your heart? He places that there. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 37, 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not that he will give you everything your heart desires. He will give you the desire. He will put the desire in your heart. Sometimes you just have to do what needs to be done. I get it. And almost everything that I've ever been passionate about has something about it that I don't like. But in most cases, serving God, the place that God places us in, in a variety of ways, should really line up with our passion. Because then it's not a burden. It's a blessing. Because you have a unique heart. That's H. The A is ability. Ability. What, what natural abilities and or skills do I have is a question you would ask. Every natural ability you have is given to you by God. Every learned ability that you have acquired, God has given you the ability to acquire or learn it. Even when you use your abilities for evil, it's still God that gave you that ability. And what you're able to do for God, the ability that you have to do something, is very likely what God wants you to do. God gave abilities to people, like not just spiritual abilities, like hands-on abilities. That's what Exodus 31, 6 says when they were building the temple. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach. How about that? I don't even know if I said that right. Of the tribe of Dan to help him. I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I've commanded to you, commanded you. What I love most about this passage and in others like it is, we, is how we see the integration of our faith into just like working with your hands, the everyday things that we do, not just in church. Moses says, speaking for God, I have given a skill to Aholiab. So these carpenters, these masons, these electricians, there weren't electricians then, were blessed by God. I was just seeing if you guys were listening with the capacity for these trades. God uses every aspect of us. Philippians 2.13, Paul wrote, it is God who works in you 
to will and to act according to his good purpose. Why wouldn't he? He's the one who gave the ability to us in the first place. So when we talk about how God has uniquely designed you and me to serve him, we aren't just talking about teaching second grade Sunday school. It doesn't matter if the, if the ability God has given you, the place he's placed you, is you're a mom or you're a dad. He's put you in that position and he's given you the ability to do that. It doesn't matter whether you're driving an Amazon truck or you're a plumber. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or an administrator or you work in facilities or you're an, uh, a coach. It doesn't matter if you're dealing cards at Pechanga or you're crushing some software deal, some international software deal. God gives us different abilities, and when we, when we do those things, we are expressing the work of God in our lives. So we are living out the calling of God, not just in a little sliver that we do at church. Church is still very important. That's, this is some of the most important things that we do. But every part of our lives, God has given us abilities in every aspect of our lives. Have you thought about that before, that the abilities that you have, come from God, and he wants you to use them for the good in the world, and not just within the four walls of this campus. You know, we have a great staff, and each one of our staff members here, they play a unique role, but there's a person on our staff here at Sunridge, I, I promise you, 95% of you have never met or ne and you've never seen, that has God-given abilities, some natural, some learned, without whom Sunridge could not function. Is it you, Britt? <laughs> I wish. No, someone far more important than me, trust me. I'm talking about Jeannie Sandoval. She is our bookkeeper. And without her, we would have no business accounting at this church. We wouldn't pay our bills or our staff, which would be a big problem. <laughs> Your offering that you so faithfully and graciously give wouldn't be put into our account. But it goes far beyond. The level of expertise she has goes far beyond what she does in a checking account. There are all kinds of laws governing how nonprofits work. And we have to do all this, these, we have to follow the regulations. And someone has to keep up on those regulations. And we are audited every year, and we have to gather all, gather all that information and give it to our auditor. It's like, it's a ton of work, and it's not within my ability at all. Without her ability to administrate those financials, we'd be closed down pretty quick. And I don't think that there's anyone on our staff right now that could do her job. Maybe Bob. But she's so much nicer. <laughs> so God gives us unique abilities. God gives us the ability to acquire unique abilities. Now, you might be thinking, and I think that this is most of us. Some of you might go, like, yeah, I got some awesome abilities Good for you. That's not a bad thing to recognize what you're good at. But most of us are always thinking that our abilities aren't that great. And a lot of us probably feel insecure 
about that. But that is not true about us. If you don't believe me, then you'll have to take up that argument with God. Because he said when he knit you together in the womb, he was pretty excited about what he did. And in fact, he thinks that you're pretty much wonderful. Those are the abilities that God gives us. So think about that. Think about the unique abilities that you have, that if you really brought them before God, even if you think they're just five loaves and two fishes, if you brought it before God and allowed him to use them, I bet he could do something far beyond any of us could imagine. Now, the P is for personality. How am I wired? We're all different, right? But you know, there's no perfect personality for God's work. The point here is to be in the position that's in keeping with the role God has for you and who God made you. So if you're an introvert, maybe you shouldn't be the front person at our welcome desk, right? But you could support it by organizing it, by setting the stuff up. If you're an extrovert and you hear laughter out in and from your office, you hear laughter in the hallway, you're probably going to get up from your desk and run out and see why everybody is cracking up because you don't want to miss out. And if you're an introvert and you hear people laughing in the hallway, you close your door and you're blinds, <laughs> right? Because your wiring is different. There's no right or wrong response to that. And to me, it's just obvious that God loves variety. Just look around. Look at how different we are. God made introverts and extroverts. He made people who love routine and people who love variety. He made some people who are thinkers and he made others who are more of a feeler. Some people work better as an individual solo and some people work way better with a team. And as Dave read today in 1 Corinthians 12, 6, the Apostle Paul wrote, God works in different ways. Right? He works in different ways, which includes our personality, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. This is why the outcome of all of this shape that we'll talk about today and spiritual gifts next week, why the same, why the same training or education can look so different on people. God doesn't make cookie-cutter people. It's why we can learn from others but we can't be like them. It's why we shouldn't expect people we know to be like someone else, especially us. We all have our favorite kinds of personalities, right? And I just wonder, like, how often are conflicts that we have in life, whether it's at work or at church, in our homes, they're less about right and wrong or this belief or that belief or using Excel or some other spreadsheet document. Um, they're more just about our personalities. We just kind of, in our differences, sometimes we can rub people the wrong way. Our individual wiring is developed by so many different things. But isn't it true that God, God affects that too? So God uses, uses us as the people he's made us to be. We can always be improved upon, right? We can always use some remodeling. 
But what if we brought our personality, the way God has made us, introvert, extrovert, task-motivated, relationally motivated, and we just say, God, take who I am and use that for your glory. Now, the E is experience. What have I gone through? Now, if you believe that God is in control of your life, then doesn't it follow then even if he hasn't willed everything that's happened in your life, he certainly allowed it. And if you believe that God is in control, doesn't it follow that he has a purpose in why he's allowed you to go through what you've been through? So just think about the million ways, uncountable actually, we are different in our experiences. And just think about how many experiences you've had. You went to college or not. You had a problem with alcohol. You've been a teacher for 32 years. You got married. You got divorced. You started a business. You had cancer. You raised a family. You spent time in another country or in another part of this country. You had a knee replacement. You were a missionary. They're all experiences. We have experiences in our family, in our place of employment, in our relationships, and they all add up to make us the uniquely experienced person that God has made us. They make up you. Doesn't it make sense then that if God gave you something, that he certainly wants to use it for him just as he has designed. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, Paul talks about the troubles that we would have and how those experiences can even benefit us uh, God, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Sometimes God lets us go through a painful thing, and He does something in our heart through it. And then later, we encounter someone going through the same thing, and we can help them. That's what that verse is saying. But for the Christian, for the Christian specifically, there's something even more unique and explicit in what God has given you, how God has made you for his glory, his purpose, his intention for you. And it's a key factor in how our lives become exponential. It's spiritual gifts. And when you think about it, your spiritual gift comes directly from God. There's no mediator like a professor or a coach or a supervisor. It can be developed, but the bottom line, your spiritual gifts come straight from the Holy Spirit to you. And God designed you and me to serve him through our unique spiritual gifting. Some say, I have no idea what that means, Britt. I've never heard of spiritual gifts, and I don't know what mine is. Well, don't feel dumb or unchristian educated. Honestly, I would be just thrilled if there was somebody sitting here right now that says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because that means we're learning today. So let's start with the basics. What is a spiritual gift? There's no definition given in the Bible. But here's a definition that most Bible scholars would agree upon. I'm going to put it up on the screen. You can fill in the blank if you want. A spiritual gift is a unique ability given to each of us by the Holy Spirit for the purposes of building others up in the faith. 
And if you want to read about those, in your note sheet and up here are all the main passages where spiritual gifts appear. They appear in lists, and then there's parameters about their use. But let's look at the 1 Corinthians passage that Dave read already today. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, we need to know about spiritual gifts. What do we need to know? Well, it's all in the definition that I just gave you, but I want to break it down. First of all, what we need to know is how unique each of us are. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So in other words, there's a variety of gifts. No one person is exactly the same. There is no one like you. Paul says they're different. There's different distribution, there's different kinds, and there's different working. I've heard it said that 80% of what we do, someone else can do. And 15% of what we can do, someone with the level of training and education that we have can do. But then there's 5% of what we do that only we can do because of our unique gifting and shape. This explains the difference in pastors or maybe other things. I don't know. It, dep- it, 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 it describes, it, it explains the difference like how kids' ministry can look different or why some people want to work in the tech booth and other people want to be creative. Some people, you know, uh, are gifted to be up front, and some people say, I don't want to be there. It's the unique distribution of gifts. Number two, God wants us to be informed this way. The Holy Spirit is the one that distributes the spiritual gifts as he wishes. Verse four, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever found yourself wanting to be different than you are? To be like someone else? It may be admiring somebody for who they are, or sometimes the opposite, not appreciating someone for who they are. You know, people can be mismatched in their gifts, in their roles, but sometimes they're just different. I'm going to take just a second because, as I said, I'm sick. Something's starting to run down. <laughs> I didn't want to do it with my sleeve. I'm sorry, you guys. Can you see it? Turn this way. I haven't coughed once, which is a miracle. So if, you, if you're an organizer, by the way, that's a spiritual gift. And your spouse isn't. But they're more relationally gifted. Things like mercy and encouragement are more important to them. Sometimes it's hard to sync those up. But that really gets back to our different wiring and our different spiritual gifts. Next week, we're going to look at the specific spiritual gifts. I'm so excited. Uh, If I bored you to death in this message, I promise you next week's going to be way better because we're going to talk about the specific gifts. It's going to be so good. Um, We'll see. um, (laughs) The point is, The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts. And thirdly, God wants us to know that those gifts that God gives us, they're for the common good. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So why has God gifted us? So that we could be awesome? So that we could get a pat on the back? So that people could admire us? No. God has given us these gifts, Paul says, for the common good. You know, that's a wonderful thing, but it's also a a responsibility, isn't it? That what God has given us, it's like God did it for a reason. Your unique shape has been given to you for the common good. We can make the world better. Your gifting is designed to be used in conjunction with others to do something that you could have never accomplished on your own. Just like the unique team of rescuers, how they came together to rescue these boys, the soccer team in Thailand. Individually, they were unique. If you watch the documentary, you're going to see some of them are really quirky. But in the big scheme, even though they, in the big scheme of things, even though they, you'll find they're so humble about who they are, and they considered themselves inconsequential, but together they did something that could have never been done without them. All they brought was five loaves and two fishes, but they saved these boys' lives. So summing up by restating what I said in the beginning on this, a spiritual gift is a unique ability given to each of us by the Holy Spirit for the purposes of building others up in the faith. And just as we've read in Scripture, and like the other unique ways God has designed us, God was intentional. God was intentional about the spiritual gifts that he gave you. You didn't earn them. You didn't qualify for them. There was no assessment process to determine whether you were worthy of them. He just gave them to you. They're a gift from God, as the Scripture says. Just like the grace of God is a gift to you. That salvation is a gift to us. Your spiritual gifting is a gift from God to serve others and to bring him glory. A little later in this chapter that Dave read, Paul talks about our differences being like a human body and how all those different parts have to work together. But in verse 18, he says, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, you may look at your gift and say, you know, your shape and say, I'm, I'm five loaves and two fishes. What can I do? And yet God says, I gave you those five loaves and those two fishes. Use them for me and see what I do. Personally, I want to say that I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says these are the only gifts that are available, so there could be others. When we look at them next week, there's nothing that says we only have one gift we may have a combination of gifts, and I, but I believe that we have one primary motivating gift, and any gift combination that people have is going to look different on people because of our personalities and our experiences and our abilities, right? All the ways God shapes us. But God designs us with purpose in mind, and he's gifted us with purpose in mind. And when we are better able to, to identify the ways God has shaped us to be used by him, or much more likely to be exponential in our lives. So, what are these spiritual gifts specifically? As I mentioned, you're going to have to wait till next week to find out. 
and I will break down every gift that we find in the New Testament. There's strengths and weaknesses. But here's what I want you to do this week. This is your homework. You guys ready for your homework? Who loves homework? In your note sheet, there's a website that is the shape test or spiritual gift test uh, that is free from Saddleback Community Church, Rick Warren, that wrote this book. It is the best test, or uh, I shouldn't say test, huh? You guys, that's a bad word. Assessment. You want to discover your spiritual gifts. This is a great way to do it, okay? That link is on your note sheet. It will take you about a half hour or up to an hour. And it'll be easier to take that quiz or assessment on a computer than your phone. I want to let you know that. It's going to be totally worth it. You're going to love it. I just did mine this morning. I've done it before. And it came back zero. I don't know. But I sent it to Cindy. Did you see it? Okay. Um, So I sent it to her. And I want you to, like, take that quiz and I want you to bring your results with you. Like, you can print it, you can put it on a PDF, but I want, I want you to have that in front of you next week when we talk about these different gifts. And I think it's going to be really exciting to explore the many different ways God could use us in the unique way that he has designed us. I'm asking the band to come up. And, um, you know, the whole point of this series we're calling Exponential is is to just say this simple thing, that, you know, God God has made us all so different. And most of us, as I mentioned, we think that we don't really, what we do doesn't matter. We get lost in the details, and, and we think this, this little thing that I do doesn't matter, whether it's in your home as a mom or whether you're a lead pastor of a church in Temecula Valley or you're, you know, a coach or an administrator, whatever, whatever you do, you think all, you know, it's like, I, I'm just like a cog in the machinery of everything. But you are exactly where God wanted you to be. And most of us just don't see the potential that God has in us. And this series is all about discovering that, realizing that God takes what seems inconsequential and turns it into something when we give it to him, that he does that through our, us working together. And he, he does it through the unique way that he has made us. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, Keep helping people find and follow Jesus.